Richard? Yes, Caesar. How annoyed are you about the Pickle Rick question? Now this is a story. I should say, welcome to Pilot Boys or whatever. Today, we're here to review or talk about the first episode of Rick and Morty, because every 10 episodes would we'll do a throwback. I invited Richard from Richard's Famous Food Podcast. Hi. Richard Parks III. Thank you. I invited him on because he's got a great podcast, and we've been wanting to collab somehow, and I finally thought that this was like a great... This was a TV show that I thought he'd be interested in, kind of to... You know, shut up everybody who's who's been asking. But also, I just I think it's a great piece of television because it's one of my favorites, and I think it exists in this interesting space in pop culture. So I invited you on. So thank you for joining me. And yeah, thank you for I, having me. But I thought it would be fitting to have you on and talk about the pickle Rick meme because it's. I mean, I, I I imagine, and this is just without even talking to you, I'm like, oh, this guy must get a lot of questions about the pickle Rick thing. Cause I do because it, it's such a like it's a, it was a thing that's in the zeitgeist and yeah I feel like your podcast has been ramping up the last year or two or so right sure yeah so what did you think about I guess I'll, I'll start what did you know about Rick and Morty and like how it existed in popular culture very little and how did it feel finally watching it or like how did you what did you think about it well so yeah it comes up a lot like it's like when I met Danny Trejo recently. Well, who I, was who was uh, Jaguar? I know. I, I gave him a card, and uh, and he told me that. <laughs> I had no idea that he had worked on the show, but he was like, oh, that's from... And at first he said Rick and Morty, and I was like, I think you're thinking of Rick and Morty. Uh, or, sorry, he said uh, he said Mork and Mindy, uh, and which you know about that show, yeah. right? <laughs> Have you done that on this show? No. That's Nanu the, Nanu. Uh, one, right? Exactly. Um, but he was like, that's from Mork and Mindy. And, and I was like, oh, you're thinking Rick and Morty. And he was like, yeah, I, w- I was a guy on that. And I was like, fantastic. Thank you. So good to meet you. And so like people, yeah, when I hand them my business card, which as you probably know, I do to Everyone. 95% of the people who I meet, um, a lot of the time it does Always got to be networking. Got to be networking all day, every, every day. day. <laughs> Shout out Charlie, a.k.a. Chamba, from the last episode of my podcast. Represent all day, every day. <laughs> yeah. Michelle, put a, put a clip of that in here. Just splice it in. Would you? Yeah, yeah. I'll you know, it would be a lot easier to just play a segment or like an episode of the show than to even try to describe what my show is in a way. Well, okay, so... We'll get there. Sorry. We'll, we'll get there. I, I'm so glad that you have an editor because she's going to yeah, yeah, be yeah. working hard this week. Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. That's, that's kind of the bit of the of the show. We'll say like, uh, Michelle, take that out. Yeah. Kind of shit because it's... And then you leave that in? Or, or I'll be like, Michelle, splice this in and she won't do it. <laughs> I think... I'm thinking about making a super podcast of all the times people say on obviously unedited podcasts, you can edit this part out. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the th- major things it's, it's that Mark Maron's got to say. Most people do that. Yeah. Okay, so... Go. How did it feel... You're keeping it on track. I okay. like it. You're in charge. I like this. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to, <laughs> to, to stay... Because I do the same thing. I appreciate it. I, um, so before anything, I want to ask what your impression of the first episode was. How I did loved you feel it. watching it? I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I, I I love this show. It took me this long to watch it, but that's not unusual for me to kind of like. I have a lot of holes in my Pop sort culture. of yeah, yeah. I think we all do, but I really do. Gotcha. And I mean, television has never been like a huge part of my life, so I miss this. But friends have told me about it. Friends have told me that it's great. That it's got you know that I would love it. Uh, that it has this like you know berserk sensibility but also a lot of heart and uh, I think that I saw a lot of I love this part we we have it on in the background on mute but like like when they in the first episode when they get to the cliff in the other dimension and he gives them these it, the Rick gives his grandson these shoes and he like sells them as shoes that can stick to anything you can yeah. walk up and down or any which way and then the kid puts them on he's so excited and he just steps off the cliff and they don't work he breaks his leg that's so funny this is actually so there are a couple things about the first season cuz i'm such a fan yeah so one of the things they don't do in the show is they don't do time travel and it's about interdimensional travel but they never do time travel but in here he exactly he, he just did it he just he went essentially to- yeah he has this like long kind of like monologue about how he went to this he time traveled to this future and like they had this great society, and there was all these women that he wanted to have sex with. 
so, so on and so forth. So yeah, but they they don't do time travel. So there there are a couple mechanics and a couple like character quirks that don't really come back. Yeah, I'm not gonna say. I think it's for the better for the most part. But one of the things you notice is like uh, I don't know how much you know about the show, but this is supposed to be a parody of uh, Back to the Future. Yeah. So, like, see, I don't even get that. But yes. now that you've said that, I can see it. And part of that is like his voice kind of sounds like you know like that. His his kind of intonation, like we gotta go back, Morty, kind of shit. Right. Um. He doesn't have that. And just the look, obviously. Is... I don't know what it is. I think it's like the wherever he's from doesn't have it. Also, there's a there's a little Easter egg here, like a continuity thing where he pulls okay. apart the seed, and there's like two seeds instead of being one. Ah, uh, so uh, there is. Well, it's yeah. like a pod, right? And there, yeah, there but could it's be two, to be in like them. an avocado. Okay. But here it has two seeds on on one side. It doesn't matter. But so. The reason I ask about your first impression because it, it like kind of exists, so it's so present in pop culture. Like the fourth season just came back, which is kind of apt that we're doing the f- the first episode. Did it live up to your expectations? Was it a little too hype for you? No, I mean, whatever. Like I'm not usually like super intrigued by things that a lot of people think are good. Uh, that there still exists in me some like you know solid core of like weird i don't know snobbery or something like okay. that where i'm like well it's probably not for me then because everybody likes it but uh so i didn't give i don't know a lot of credence and there's so much out there like it can't all be that great but no i i love this and i mean to be honest like it's like it's just my kind of thing and like i think this relates a little bit to my podcast in a way because not just the fact that there's like a silly anthropomorphic pickle involved which is one thing by the way that goes back hundreds of years at least there's like 19th century like dill pickle rags with little like dancing pickles on the cover of sheet music and stuff like that so there's a whole cultural tradition of this that predates my podcast which predates brick and morty (laughs) Uh, you gotta you gotta gotta gotta, get that you gotta let them know you gotta let them know all the time but i think the sensibility of this show is that's familiar from a lot of cartoons thanks michelle uh (laughs) is you know like there's this element of surprise and absurdity and commitment to the bit Commitment to the bit. Yeah, absolutely. And and always, fi- yeah, finding something, right, like exactly, like I think that there's something, and calling out like when things don't work, like there's like a little bit of like self-consciousness in the humor that's familiar yeah. from other cartoons, like like when these sticky shoes don't work, he yells after his grandson, like, you're supposed to turn them on. Yeah. And then like 30 seconds later, which is like, you know, a lifetime in in cartoon timelines, He's down there and he's still saying, but you got to turn them on. Like, you know, it's it's like, it's sort of like, it's such a slippery thing to make humor out of. But then they're like calling out, you know. Especially because those mechanics are often ignored in cartoons. Like, it's just like this acceptance that that happened. It's not really going to. I feel like they don't apply this like real world kind of like sensibility to cartoons. It's just kind of like that's the cartoon logic. Yeah. But I also, that's exactly the reason. All those things you described is the reason why I wanted to have you on is because. It it reminds me. I've, I've described this to you. Your podcast reminds me of an Adult Swim show mm-hmm. in that kind of absurdity and like it's it. This is like it's hard to explain, but like you know that you like it. And I feel like Rick and Morty has that energy that your podcast has. It's yeah. like this this very odd energy where like sometimes you'll never know where it goes. It goes off the rails sometimes, but also it has this like sincerity that uh, I think comes from one of the creators who's who's a little more experienced with. TV conventions and things like that. Uh-huh. Uh but we'll get into that. So I want to I want to get into I want to just give a quick recap of okay. the first episode and of the the Pick Pickle Rick episode. So the first episode is about this this grandpa and his grandson. One is named Rick and one is named Morty. I I'm, I'm, I'm sure most people have seen this already, but Rick drunkenly wakes up Morty and takes him on a late night space stroll that results in like a neutrino bomb activation. Uh, he gets back home and then his parents kind of have this discussion at breakfast and they tell him like, you can't do that. He's suffering at school. And Rick ignores that, takes him on another trip. And then he takes, he, te- he tells him that he needs to get these mega seeds for his research, but he exhausts his, his interdimensional portal gun. And then <laughs> he decides to go to like a, essentially like an airport for interdimensions. Yes. But, they because he's going to go through that avenue he has to stick the mega seeds up his butt and the customs or not customs i guess it's customs the sure. tsa agent is just like we got to check it's a random cavity search so they run away they kind of escape and then 
they get home and then there's this huge bit and i'm sure you saw it at the end where it's just like rick and morty adventures 100 years they came they come into that almost every season like the well, continuity they, in this show they, is insane. They recap that bit. Yeah. So, like so in, I've only watched these two episodes. So like in season three, he'll be like, uh, you know, Rick and Morty. Yeah. 97 years, 97 years to go. Because in this three, three years prior, so it's years, yeah. 100 years. So like the, the continuity right. is really, really strong in the show. I think it has a lot to do with like, it's a lot of nerds working on it. And a lot of people who like genuinely love TV kind of shit. Yeah. So that's the first episode. And then the Pickle Rick episode, I just went simple. The family needs to go to therapy. Rick turns himself into a pickle to get out of it. And then at the end, he gets psychoanalyzed by Susan Sarandon. And, then, <laughs> and a few things happen in between. Exactly. There's a lot of action. Doesn't matter. So I kind of wanted to talk a little bit to give you a little history of the show. Okay. So I don't know how familiar you are with Community. Do you know who that is? Yeah, I, so, I'm familiar with that show. So Dan Harmon yes. got fired from Community in 2012. So he essentially had a, essentially like an off year. And he used to run this like clip competition that he knew this very talented like animator kind of funny guy his name was justin roiland they approached him about a show but he's just like i don't know if, if i have a, i'm a good fit for adult swim so then he called him up they wanted to do kind of like a ren and stimpy kind of thing like two 10 minute episodes in one episode uh but they decided to just go with like just the regular like 20 minute episode and dan Harmon. so i described it as like Dan Harmon's kind of the right side, and then Justin Roiland's the left side of the brain, because all right. the eccentricities are Justin Roiland, because he just likes to riff. Dan Harmon is more about he, he's he's super conventional, but he's also a great TV writer. But he sticks to like the story circle, like uh, Joseph Campbell's Monomyth, right? Like the the hero's journey. Okay. He he basically asks for the most part most of his his like writing staff to stick to that because it helps kind of keep conventions. And th- and this first episode does stick to that. Um, so they pitched the idea of a parody that he had made, which is kind of dark, but it was called like, uh, Marty and doc or something like that, which is like something about like he does, he has sex with Mort with, uh, Marty McFly in it or some shit. So they develop it, but he like urges him, like, we need to write it today. And they greenlit it. And he's like, we need to write it today. Cause I know we won't write it. So they wrote it in like six hours and then it got developed. So it was essentially kind of like a let's just get this out there and like, let's put it out mm-hmm. in between the community shit. Cause right after that, he gets a job at community. Like he gets, he gets hired again. So that's kind of like the history of how it came to be. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. Cause there is a lot of like, you're not, you're not super familiar with the show, but the eccentricities of the show, like the crazy shit, like there's, there's an, there's, there's entire episodes where there's just riff. Like it, the entire thing is based on, ad-libbing and like mm-hmm. like it's essentially like a sketch group or whatever okay or like just going like yes and that doesn't sound like a hero's journey no that one doesn't but that one's supposed to be kind of like a like kind of like a throwaway episode okay so like this one that we're doing right now this yeah this episode of pilot boys You're no like, absolutely let's, not let's, this let's is, have this richard is... parks the third on no the throwaway episode. this is a very special guest <laughs> one of the one of the most special guests oh please um thank you thank you for having me so so yeah so so kind of some of the things that i wanted to talk about is uh there's a nice contrast i yeah. think like i had kind of hap- hap- haphazardly picked these two episodes because i thought it would it would be funny to have you on and talk about it looking at both of them there's this contrast between between both of them like the first one is kind of a microcosm this even the, the first like the cold open where he wakes up Morty and he takes him on a space travel. Right. That's kind of a microcosm of the entire show. Yeah. It's just like, it's like an adventure, but also like there are stakes and there are like some deep seated issues that will manifest later on. And I feel like the first one doesn't really have much of like the sincerity that, that I'm kind of alluding to. Right. But the pickle Rick one, Gets funny the, enough, the family does stuff. have, exactly. Yeah. It has that sincerity, which is a nice contrast between the two. Cause one is about like, it really doesn't hold anything sacred. And then the other one is about how it tries to like humanize these characters and kind of bring like, it really does give Rick like a reality check. Cause he thinks he's like a God and he has this complex about how he's like the best shit ever, but it brings him down a lot. Yeah. And I, I really like that contrast that I didn't purposely go for. This kind of yeah. came out as, as 
as we were, were doing it. So Well the first the the pilot, like at the end of the pilot, the the section that you alluded to already, where he's just saying like he's like telling you what the show is, which yeah. seemed very appropriate for a pilot, but Rick is like Morty, you and me are going to go on adventures. Like, you're going to be my little adventure buddy. And, like, basically that's what they had just done. And he's saying, like, we're just going to keep doing this. And, you know, and obviously there's no rules because this mad scientist can just, like, travel through time or do whatever he wants to do. And then the parents have also, by that point in the, in the pilot, like, agreed to it, basically. Like, at first they were against it, but then through some subterfuge, they're like, yeah, go ahead. You can take our son and, like, Man. go adventure with him. And so it's going to be this, like mad genius who can do anything and this like hapless little kid who is supposedly bright but actually is not that bright he's more of like the MacGuffin, if you will you know he's sort of there to be like where are we going you know like yeah um so he he's got in the in the like in the span of the show he he grows a lot as a person okay um i don't know if it's it's necessarily a good or a bad thing like it's it's one of those because rick is an interesting character in that he's not he's not like a necessarily a good person in some ways, he's 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 kind of billed or like he's shown as the antagonist because he gets the most screen time, but he's kind of an awful person. Like he treats his family like shit, and like he doesn't care about them. He loves them, but it it takes a lot for it to manifest. Yeah, they set that up as yeah, well. But I think in the first episode, everything's kind of undercut by a bit. Like at the end, we're like, you know, like yeah, this is just me and you, and he's just like, no, 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 like this is the bit. Like it 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 pulls the rug under up from under you a lot. Versus the Pickle Rick one doesn't. Like, it, it kind of lives in that sincerity for the most part. I mean, they have the, the characters have genuine reactions to, you know, being essentially told that, like, you being such a badass isn't as, as badass as you think. And they kind of live in it, which which I dig. Um, versus this one is just, just like, balls to the wall. Like, <laughs> ridiculousness. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about storytelling. But... Uh, I don't know about, you know, Joseph Campbell's rules and like, what, what Dan Harmon does and all that stuff. But, like, I think William Saroyan said, it's like, storytelling is just get the cat up the tree and then get the cat back down yeah. the tree. This is not, this is not like a, we need to talk about, like, theory it's not and, that like, type of podcast. lenses. I mean, it can be, but I don't, I don't <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think, I guess, like, podcast talk, podcast talk time. I think my, 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 my thing is, like, I try to strike a balance between talking about the show, like, analyzing it in some way, and then making it fun, which, for me, and maybe it's a good thing I brought you on, that's the harder part, making it fun, because, like, I can talk about shit for hours, but the fun part is <laughs> is harder, because you gotta, like, you gotta find ways to make talking about TV fun. You're making it's fun. It fun. You're ma- I, I'm having fun. I'm yeah, having a blast. Thanks for lying to me. No, I I love this couch and I and I'm very <laughs> impressed with your podcast. There's like an arm that's attached to a table that's articulated itself towards my mouth. I have two glasses of water, one Topo Chico and one glass of still water. That's how I disarm you. That's my. Uh, <laughs> I that's working. how I disarm all the guests. It's working. But yeah, so I, I I was I was I was interested in kind of the idea of. Rick and Morty and like the zeitgeist mm-hmm. in, in popular in well, popular I mean, culture. The thing that I'm grateful for Rick and Morty for is that if I put something on my Instagram stories for my podcast, which I have an Instagram for at Richard's Famous, <laughs> check it out. That's Richard with an S, Famous, on Instagram and Twitter. But on, I'm very active on Instagram, and it's it's been great for me because I opened it somewhat recently, and it's I've connected with like a ton of people who listen to the show that way, and it's been really interesting for me. Like, I mean, I feel like I know you in some ways through that in a yeah. way. Even I was though, just like, hey, I like your podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I and that's how I like kind of like checked out your work and stuff like that, which I'm grateful for. So the Instagram's been great. So I try to keep it active because also it's like. It's a food podcast. What am I doing with an Instagram account for my podcast? But uh, I mean, on, socials matter for that kind of shit. I know. Well, you're a younger man than I am. Yeah. Uh, I have gray hair. I'm, I'm a cusper. I am technically <laughs> a millennial. But since I have gray hair, I call myself a renaissance man. Yeah. Uh, but if you put up an Instagram story and you swipe up, which is something I learned how to do, and you have some options for, I'm not going to say it correctly, G-I-F. How do you say that? I just say, it's either GIF or GIF. You don't care? The, I thought this was a generational thing that I was supposed to ask you about. I don't about. give a shit. Okay. <laughs> okay. I understand it. So when you when you look for one of those, if you type pickle in, you just get a million options and they're all like pickle Rick yeah. 
you know, either with the blades shooting out of his arms or something like that. And when people tag me on Instagram, they're always using those. And so it's kind of just been good as, I don't know, like... So it's a net positive in terms of, like, It's good to have another silly pickle around because okay. it's like I give people the card and they just get... I mean, the thing is about my show, that what that logo does is that it. I think it says a lot about what the show is, thanks yeah. to the way James did it, because it's like, it's a pickle with a mustache. That's kind of all you need to know. It's hard to describe, but that sort of like is all you need to know. Yeah. I mean, it's a good way to get in the door. Like that's that was my first experience with it. I was hmm. just like, "Oh, that's you, oh, that's you like the logo?" Yeah, I was just like, "That's funny," because I I didn't know who you were essentially. I knew that you had nobody written, knows who I am. I didn't I didn't I knew you had written or helped or co-wrote the Guerrilla book, right? But I hadn't like ex- like gone you know gone into your 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 work you hadn't gone deep because I, had, I had i'm pretty new to the to the food stuff yeah so that's how i got into it and i mean i personally didn't think that it was pickle rick but i don't think that all pickles, well, that's because you're a culture i don't think that all pickles are created that, yeah, equal, yeah so that's right that's right but i mean i've actually started describing my podcast as hard as it is to describe i've started describing it as it's more like a cartoon than it is like a podcast and has it helped a lot yeah but I think that, you know, because what my podcast is, is it's got sort of like a baseline of like documentary cultural reporting about food. Yeah. Uh, so it's familiar in a way. It's it's like a public radio magazine or storytelling show at its core. But then layered on top of that is like a lot of humor. A lot of it is what they call absurd humor. There are characters that come in and out that are fictional in the interstitial. So you're mixing fiction, not mixing but presenting together fiction and nonfiction uh, because they never actually mix really. And tons of sound design that is wacky. And to me, I think the sound design stuff comes more from like old Warner brothers cartoons than it does anything else. And maybe stuff that like I grew up watching, you know, the Simpsons and stuff. Well, okay. So to, to pick up off piggyback off of that, I think that Rick is a good kind of like, current iteration of Bugs Bunny because I think Bugs Bunny was essentially a like he had this like godliness to him he was like the smartest person in the room yes he was like the funniest person in the room he knew how to he was always on top of everything and they're much more hapless characters all around him and I think that's actually like a perfect description of like how to relate to this show in that like it's he is this like odd person who is knows more than everyone else but so but he's the, less a person than everyone else. Yes. Yeah. And even Bugs Bunny is the same way. Like he, there's never a sincere, there's never necessarily ever a sincere moment to him. Bugs Bunny is glib. Yeah. Rick is like cynicism just, and like. Well, he's just too advanced for this this earthly existence. I'd be right? I'd be curious to see like a, a Bugs Bunny Rick Sanchez show up like showdown. I, I'm not sure that Rick would win. Is that his last name? Yeah. Okay. That's his last name. So the thing I want to talk about was so Rick exists in 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 popular culture or like in fandom as like this very like specific kind of person where yeah. like uh I'm gonna throw out a few characters and see if you, you get what I'm saying. So like think of like Tyler Durden or like the Joker, or, like V for Vendetta, like V or like Rorschach, where like there are these characters who like think they know the world better than people do. Right. Like there's like there's a, they have a chip on their shoulders and like they think they're better. And this is kind of like the legacy of Rick and Morty I think at this point because people associate it now with its kind of toxic fandom where like that <laughs> Szechuan thing happened where like this dude kind of like went into a McDonald's and he made a whole show of it. But it's also he's also like a wet dream for like the the misunderstood kind of shit. It's this kind of like trend that's happening. Wait, where, like, I should understand this though. Is it, so he represents something. So he's in line with those characters that we just mentioned. Right. Okay. He's kind of like it's it's hard to disc- there's a through line between all of them, but it is very much like this I think the people who are big fans of them like they their identity is I I align close to these people. It, it there is this like toxic nature to them in that like they feel like they're too smart to be in a certain place. Like, I'm smarter than you kind of shit. It is like this, like, hmm. I'm better than you. Because they actually identify with him. Yes. Okay. So, like, I don't, again, you're kind of new to this, this like, yeah. this, no, this fandom. But there is a lot of that. There's a lot of, like, uh, people, people only like Rick and Morty for, like, 
this thing, but they don't understand that it's like truly deep. Yeah. And then like the 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 creators are like, no, dude, like we're just being ridiculous kind of thing. But it is that like idea. Like think of like Colbert. Like he was he was a parody, but like people started to like him. Like they started to think his character was genuine. It's yeah. it's the idea of like you create this are character. Are you mocking it or are you glorifying it? Yes. So that that kind of legacy of like how Rick exists in fandom or like in popular culture. I think it's interesting, especially with these two shows, these two, these first two episodes. So the first episode kind of shows him, like, you, you kind of want to be him. Like, you think he's cool. <laughs> but in the second episode, he gets brought down a peg. Like, he gets humanized. Like, she's essentially telling him, like, you think you're this hot shit. In the Pickle Rick episode. Exactly. Yeah. But she's just like, but you're not, like, you're just like the rest of us. But you like to think that you're different. Yeah. And it's that kind of, like, idea of, like, I've got this chip on my shoulder. Like, I'm way, I'm different. Like, people just don't understand me. Yeah. So th- that that was kind of what I was getting at in terms of like the idea of Rick and yeah. how it exists and how it's kind of digested. Uh-huh. So it's either like people like him because he's like ridiculous or like they identify like that. I'm kind of like that. And that's kind of like my hero kind of shit. Right. So it's, you're, you're either you, you like ride for Rick in the pilot or you're okay with him being taken down a peg and you like see him a little bit in a more well, complicated way. Yeah. Well, I, I think... Because in some ways, I think that the Pickle Rick episode is kind of like critiquing the the character, like a self-critique of the character, instead of like making him seem out to be like the the best person in the world kind of shit. Yeah. Well, actually, all the Pickle Rick stuff is kind of, it's the like... That's the MacGuffin. It's happening. It's like the meanwhile back at the ranch thing. Yeah, that's the B plot, right? To the the family story that it, that is happening yeah. in, in the when they go to therapy and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, his daughter's got the syringe. Like he can't come back without she. She's like holds the power and stuff like that. Yeah. You asked me to watch those two episodes, understandably, but since I hadn't watched any before. And I had to like scroll through like three seasons of content to get to this, the Pickle Rick episode. Yeah. I was like, I wonder what happened between uh, then and then. But really, I, I I sensed some stuff had happened in the family and that the characters had kind of changed. But it, it was at least still the same baseline of like Rick's character seemed like kind of the yeah. same. And like they still go on these crazy adventures and all Which that Which I think stuff. speaks to the strength of the pilot because they, I think sticking to that structure is is a good way to kind of like create the thesis of the show like mm-hmm. the show is about you know like these this kind of like wacky grandpa and his grandson but like it has the sincerity as it goes on as you get to know these characters but i think it's interesting that like the show that's beloved and is, is held sacred by like some of the fandom or like quote unquote the tech the toxic fandom <laughs> is getting self-critiqued by its own show like it's yeah. the show's telling you like you know walter white isn't as great as you think he is like okay. some of these characters can be awful so what is it is it kind of like analogous to like it's like people talk about like scorsese's films like it's like 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 are you glorifying like, like, this uh, or are you travis bickle this? or yeah. like or fucking jordan belford yeah of course they, right he likes to so he it's likes that to similar deal. kind of discussion that happens i think so but okay. there is more of like a a self-critique okay. versus like in those well, in he's those... a ridiculous character i mean he can't get through three sentences without burping or like vomiting yeah. on himself and he's like i mean he's presented even in the first episode as great as he seems or whatever he's just like totally drunk and like passing out and spilling booze on himself and, yeah and also like what is it like except for the fact that it's like useful for the storytelling purposes kind of and like the dynamic of the family why does this character need to have his grandson along on all these adventures? Like what that that's never really addressed. I don't really care. Cause it's yeah. like fun or whatever, but like, what's his, you know, like, why does he need that? I mean, they're, they're never really address it. It's yeah. just kind of like a, a, like a logic leap, I guess. Like they, but I'm just saying they make him seem like kind of ridiculous in yeah. a lot of ways. But I mean, I think there is a lot of like sadness to him. Like he's not yeah. like, he tries to act like he's better than everybody. It's but... lonely at the top Caesar. That's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what he's talking about. He's just like, because I am so smart and this and that, I don't, you know, like, I, don't, I can't even interact with you. But I think that that's, it's, it's interesting you bring up Scorsese because he is, the characters that he deals with are often, like, not even anti-heroes. Or, often they're just bad people. Yeah. Did you see The Irishman? 
I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Did you watch it? Yeah. How was it? I it was good. It, yeah. it was very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is it more of that like playing with the like kind of I mean, I don't know. I think that there was a good I obviously we shouldn't talk about it because it comes out next week. Right. For Netflix. Oh, okay. You got to go see it at the Los Feliz 3. That's my favorite theater. 550. Hell yeah. You know, like it's matinees? like it, well, yeah, the, in the matinees at like 2 yeah. on a side. That's what I did. I me and my mom went over the weekend. Nice. It was just like last minute. Well, I would go, but and I was like I paid for me and my mom. It was $12 to get into the yeah. movie theater. That's the first time we were going there? No. Oh. No, but it had been years. Yeah. You know, like we it, go there all the time. But I'm just surprised that the prices are still I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it was the first screening of the day, so I guess it was technically the matinee. The first two or Five fifty. Okay, might have been the second or whatever, but um, yeah, they're really good prices. I I I, I fuck with that place. It's crazy. But sorry to to, <laughs> to for, I forgot, I forgot what I was saying. Sorry, Michelle. No, 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 no worries. It happens all the time, and it's usually me who does it because yeah. I'm really bad at like staying on key. Michelle, you're the best. <laughs> Michelle, we love you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that that it's interesting that you say that as like a like he's a ridiculous character because yeah, he is a ridiculous character, but. That's not how some people see it. It's like the idea that some people read it as he's ridiculous, but some people read it as that's my hero. And I think that that's an interesting thing that exists in culture because he's he's kind of read at these like, as these like two ways. It's like he's like this super badass character that like no one can beat, but other people are like, yeah, he's kind of an awful person. But I actually feel like there was more of that in the Pickle Rick episode in a Absolutely. way, even though it's like shaded by the more of the family story, but like. There's so much violence in that episode. I was surprised by that. Like, well, no, they, they they always and I think part of that is commitment to things. Yes. Like, anything that they do, there's a, there's always a sense of commitment. But we obviously talk through spoilers on this show, right? Yeah, yeah. There was so much violence in it, and he is like this like superhero like uh, like killing figure. You know? Yeah. yeah, he's like this spawn of Satan. Like, but. Yeah capable of doing anything and he's just like eviscerating rats yeah you know like rat after rat after rat and like uh and it's it's sort of like exciting and fun to watch and it's like definitely giving you all the violence like all at once where it's like you're being it's jarring it's jarring to see it because yeah but then it continues where it's like it's not like they set up a good and evil situation and kind of played it out and gave you a lot of tension. And then at the end, you had the gratification of yeah. of the good guy or the supposed the Rick yeah. killing. Does not the have a guy. story circle. No, it's more like like about like ten minutes in, he starts killing rats, and then it just goes on for like about five minutes, and then he goes and kills you know yeah. thirty other henchmen, Russian henchmen, and yeah. Danny Trejo. <laughs> Which I don't know if Danny Trejo's character came from earlier episodes or not no that's the first time you ever come out oh that's so funny so yeah like i think he doesn't kill danny danny's character yeah yeah but i think what you're addressing is kind of that absurdity that it has which to me i i I am of the belief that like dark comedies are able to get at things a lot better than like even dramas are sometimes yeah i think bojack is one of the best tv shows to come out in a long time because yes it has that like darkness to it but it also has that humor that kind of helps you know infuse some levity into it and well yeah that's like a character that you don't even see in like live action tv almost it's it's so real you know and then in putting that in a in that cartoon it's just incredible like yeah because like i mean essentially the the way you you you're like if it was like a, a ride it would be just like oh my god fun 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 like action and then at the end it's just like oh like that was like some real family shit yeah, and I think that kind of helps. I don't know, like sell it or kind of like what make sell it the family stuff. Yeah, like make it easier to kind of like understand that. Like, I think more than anything, what that part was supposed to do. And most people think that. I think even even Rick says it kind of like meta. He's just like, don't read too much into it. Like, I'm just a fucking pickle. But yeah, I think what it what it does is like it acts as like this point where like you see that he thinks of himself as like. He got away with it, like he didn't have to go to to the family thing, and like he's like super great. But you know, he's 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 not. He's just like avoiding his problems in the way that like everyone else is. So he still has like these human Damn. problems, even though like he's just like off killing rats. Yeah, which As I thought which I thought was a good way to like sell that. Because when I first watched the episode, I was just like, oh, I just I didn't think anything of it. Fun fact: when I went to Comic Con twenty seventeen six no. Seventeen when it came out, I was I actually saw them like show the the 
the schematic, like where they were like, hadn't been animated yet, so they they had showed the pickle Rick stuff. Oh, really? Before I'd come out, they were like unveiling pickle Rick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they knew pickle Rick was going to be huge from the get. Yeah, I think so. They knew they were going to push it these ways. They knew the merch capabilities. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's true. I don't know if. Uh, I mean, I, I hear you, but I, I don't know. I, like, I, I didn't really see it. Is, is it that like kind of like, is it is it that deeply read or like understood by? I think it is. Yeah, it's, it's one of those shows that exist. Oh, well, okay. So th- this is, this goes back to like how it exists in popular culture. The show itself, it exists on two in two ways. Like, it is both like a really deep show and also like a really shallow show. Yeah, and you can get both readings depending who's watching. Like, obviously, I I think too much about TV. Maybe like a little kid watching it wouldn't even care about that kind of stuff. Like I think it has this approachability in the same way that like Game of Thrones had an approachability that like kind of made the fantasy genre way more approachable to a wider audience. Well, yeah, I mean, I get that it's kind of and you see it in the pilot and certainly in the second episode that I've watched. I'm sure over the course of many episodes, you get it like you see the family and it's sort of more about like what's it like to live with someone like that. Yeah. And like how all the different people around kind of deal with it and how it kind of defines who they are. Yeah. You know, like Rick is this like larger than life figure, his daughter and his son-in-law and his grandchildren all kind of like react to and kind of live their lives almost in relation to. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, I think they get to to play a bigger role. Like, I think the reason why they created it around this family is because you get to kind of explore the characters a little more. But I, I think that it's, an, I think shows like this, they don't come very often, but I think they're, they're fascinating because it's hard to kind of have a show that exists on in two levels. Like, The Wire didn't do well in ratings. Like, not that many people watched it, but it's beloved. People love that show. Yeah. So like when shows are massively successful and they're widely watched and it has like a deep kind of like, you know, it has some kind of substance to it. They're so fascinating to me because it's I mean, we're, we've we've we create stuff and it's it's hard to strike that balance because ideally you want to make something that's compelling and like will make people think. But you also want people to listen to it like that's what everybody wants. Right. I don't know if my record as a podcaster indicates that you know that's true like you you want people to listen to it i mean yeah and you make you take your time doing i'm you how long does it take you to make an episode a long time exactly like so way too long but like it's completely it shows, unsustainable though. i think it shows like it's taken you've been doing the podcast for a couple years now right well the first one was in 2015 the second one was in 2017 but the what third i'm saying one was in 2018 what i'm saying is that like shows like this are interesting in that they can strike that balance. Yeah. Where, like, there's a little bit for for everyone. I think as someone who's, like, creates stuff, it's admirable, but also kind of, like, how the hell did they do it kind of shit. But it's also, like, there was so much luck involved. Like, they probably didn't expect that some ridiculous fucking show was going to, like, be such a massive hit. Yeah. I mean, I've been out of the game. I'm an old man, but, like, this show's pretty out there, right? I mean, it's pretty crazy. They're oh, going. The, the most recent episode is fucking insane. Like, yeah. I was just, I don't, I was like, I don't even know what the fuck is happening. I love it. I mean, I'm really glad that it exists. And if it's, well, I'm playing, glad to hear that. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm gonna watch it all. I guess maybe it. it I can see that obviously it has a place in the culture and it's like uh, it's loved and and stuff like that. But to me, it. it to me, like, there's a basic difference between approaching something where you're trying to do that. I think it's about, like, the intent and the uh, the approach you take to it. Are you trying to reach a lot? Like, what's your goal in making this thing? Or is your goal just to, like, surprise and delight yourself? Absolutely. I think for the most part. But I think those two things are often different, you know, like, like kind of in competition with one another. And so here, I think it's much more the latter. Like, that they were trying to make something... To please themselves, I think they're making themselves laugh. Of yeah. course, yeah, yeah, yeah. They and that's like that's what I try to do with my show. You know, is I try to be like I like what I you know like I'm good with this. And so well, I think part of the formula is that like no one ever thinks that they're going for it. Like they're doing it. Like that's usually the kind of narrative that goes around it. Like I was just yeah. doing it because I wanted to see something like this, and then it ends up being a hit. But I think the fact that those shows are so popular is like because there's only a few. There's not many that are like smart and you know everybody watches them of course so it's, it's it always 
like and obviously because we're talking about the first episode and kind of its legacy it's fascinating to see because the, the first episode is good it's a good pilot that like a lot of first episodes aren't good all the time and like it takes shows to kind of a time to kind of adjust and like stretch their wings and kind of explore these characters but i think that the first episode does a good job at kind of like situating these characters in this mad world yeah but let's move on from talking about the show okay and i wanted to ask this question of do you think that there's any similarities between between the peak lay and kind of the pickle rick character so the peak lay that's what i call the sort of character that i assume when i do my podcast true do i think they're similar characters do they have any character traits that are similar? Like, does, <laughs> I mean, does the both... Pikle secretly have like this god complex, and he travels? <laughs> well, I haven't gotten to a point of really even understanding what I'm doing with the show. I just kind of like know it. When I think it's changing a lot too with with my show. Uh-huh. But I, I think that it's, um, you know, I think that I'm not afraid to make fun of myself on my show, yeah. and and I think that I can kind of create a character that's more easy to to poke fun at. And I think that that's part of what, like, you know, if I ever do things that are slightly in character in interviews, I mean, people have compared my show to Nathan for you. And, like, I'm really flattered by that comparison because I love that show. But, like, he's so much farther in character than I am. I'm I'm actually just, like, when I go out and I have my microphone and I'm interviewing people, I just do it the same way. Whether, you know, I've written stories for, like, the New York Times I do the exact same thing when I'm making my show that I did when I was writing those stories. I just talk to people and like, I, I try to be very kind and I try to listen and I try to treat them with respect. And when I use the material, I I try to do all those things. But like, if I'm ever slipping into a character a little bit, like in one of my episodes, the whole conceit is that I'm looking, uh, I have a nephew character in the show. Cornichon, right? Yeah. His name is Jimmy and he is a Cornichon. I am a, a full sour dill with a mustache and we talk and he has this voice and he's like the MacGuffin in my show where he's kind of just like comes in and asks stupid questions. So then instead of just saying the thing that you have to say in the show, I give myself a reason to say it by having Jimmy ask me. But at some point in the show, Jimmy is kidnapped by the pod God, who is the deity who uh, rules the on-demand audio universe. Yeah. And so I decided to go to France to look for Jimmy. And this is a, a framing and a reason for me to look into French culture and specifically the Cornichon, its history in France. It was the, a way to get you to France. Exactly. A story convention. Yes, exactly. So I'm off to France to look for Jimmy, essentially. And uh, so I got the cat up the tree, as William Saroyan would say. Uh. But so at some point, I was like, you know, I do, there is a moment where I'm in the most famous, the most famous brand of Cornichon in France. It's called My, and I'm in the flagship store in Paris, and I'm talking to the manager about the history of Cornichon mustard in France. And which goes back since then, you know, as we all know, I think about, you know, like French culture is very proud of this thing. You know, it's one of these hallmarks of French culture that has like made its way around the world and it's kind of changing a little bit. And I think that that's hard, you know, when it's so much a part of your cultural identity, but at some point I knew I wanted to ask him where Jimmy was so that I could kind of tie all these things together in character. So in character as you will. So like, that's the one moment where, as I said earlier, I don't, usually mix but that's the one point where it mixes this is one question so the reason why i brought this up is because like i think in building a character where i can poke fun of myself for being a big deal or being kind of cocky or whatever but being self-effacing about it i think i can earn the moment where i say to the guy so do you know where jimmy is and he's like what what are you talking about and he kind of like laughs and he was very nice about it and actually after you know, I turned off the mic. I explained to him. I was like, "This was I, unprompted, right?" Like, he, he completely. It, it was yeah. out. Of, I was like, "So, uh, who is you know August Mai, the the founder of the brand?" And he tells me about him, and I'm like, "And how many hundreds of years have you guys been doing this?" And like, who comes to the store? And I'm asking very general questions, and then I'm like, "Do you know where Jimmy is?" <laughs> and uh, and he kind of took it very well, but you know, I but, think that in building a character that you can kind of. If I'm making myself seem bigger than I am, I think it's only to then make fun of myself to then earn things like that. Because basically, I think that being a host character is all about just like earning the trust and earning moments like that where you can. And what my show tries to do is surprise and go farther than a normal food show would. And so I think that, you know, kind of trumping up who I am 
you know, this big deal food journalist or whatever, and then making fun of myself, I get to, I earn those moments, you know? So, so what you're saying is, like, you've not written necessarily, like, you I know, did not like, expect to be talking like this a, deep, by a the his, way. A history of uh, the kind of the character. I don't know who he is, no. Okay, so no. you just kind of, like, make it up as you go. I mean, honestly, Caesar, like, like I, I started doing this podcast because, like, podcasts were exploding, you know, it was like serial food media was exploding in this really interesting way where it was like lucky peach and i was writing for lucky peach and r.i.p i r.i.p and i i love like a show like good food on kcrw i love that show i love the splendid table which has changed since that now there's new hosts i I love the new iteration of it you know like but i was looking at kind of food audio and it was just sort of one type of show and it was more out of the terrestrial radio model and i was like where's the thing that kind of has more of the sort of sensibility of a lucky peach that's sort of grander and it's like production aspirations that's has like a weird sense of humor that's kind of like but it's also itself. like i mean we've talked about this before and we both work in food and it's it's also so precious like you yes. know like food is fucking like this. oh yeah i knew i wanted to have a lot yeah. of fun yeah which, yeah which is which is why i think that it's hard to be show... serious about food for me at least yeah of course because it's, it's like it's... that's the weird thing that's like that's like a basic paradox of me is that i am a serious journalist but i love to joke around i love to make fun of myself and how precious i am in my interests and so that's where the the show kind of starts but when i did the first episode i was just like it was just like me trying to make a show except no one was there telling me how to do it you know and then over the course of making more episodes i think i'm i'm starting to realize like what the show is which is like Whenever I hear myself slipping into someone else's voice or some convention of storytelling or podcasting or whatever, I just try to stop myself and like shake it out. And if I'm going to do it, I try to twist it or make fun of it. Because if the great thing is, is that if you make fun of it, you can still do it and use what's good about it. Yeah. Like what they're doing at the end of Rick and Morty uh, in the pilot when he's saying, we're going to go on a million adventures for a hundred yeah. years, just you and me flying around. That's what they call in podcasting signposting. It's where you it's and it's a big thing in radio because audio is such a sort of like fluid le, kind of almost, you know, it can be I I guess like less interactive of a medium. There's a lot of kind of handholding that is a big part of radio. It's like just a big huge part of like the tradition of writing in radio and they call it signposting. So it's like for example, in a lot of podcasts you'll hear like hey Today, we're going to hear a story about blank. It's a story that touches on X, Y, and Z. It's an outline of the show. Yeah, we're going to give you, and we tell you that so that when you get to it, you're not kind of being caught unawares. Yeah. And so that's an example of something that, like, when I find myself doing that on my show, I'm like, how could I do this in a more interesting way? And yeah. I think that that's like a... It's, you're playing with the format in a way that, I mean, both the kind of genre, which is like food, but also like the medium, which is traditionally there's already these conventions that have been outlined for food media but which are kind of boring in some ways i mean they work exactly and they, they're proven to work but you know like they're not always fun like they're kind of like the same thing you can always expect a certain structure and that's what it's going to stick to like even my show has a structure yeah like i do you know like my, my structure is i'll talk about who created it i'll talk about uh your impression and then i'll do a recap and then I'll just do talking points, usually themes or usually like shit like that. But I mean, I, I guess for me, that's what's worked out. And the difference between like the interview style yeah. versus like yours is like a magazine style, which kind of puts things together. But yeah, I think I mean, well, that's what's most appealing to me about your podcast is the kind of like playing with the medium and expanding it in a way that makes it more fun because I like I don't always I can go to your podcast and expect it's going to be something different in the genre versus like if I go to, as you mentioned, like a good food or someone like that, not to say that it's bad, but I know what I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get most of the time. The thing I don't know is the guests and like what they're going to say and things like that, or the stories particularly. You don't know what you're going to get when you come to the P-Clay feed. Exactly. That's what, that's the goal. So to me, I, I would say what I see is, is... And and part of the the reason why my initial like kind of understanding of your show is that a, Adult Swim s kind of you know like f- food and Adult Swim meet in some way. Yeah. But that commitment to the bit 
is always in your show. And yeah. I think that the Peakley kind of does that. Like if if Rick and Peakley were to have some overlap, it is that commitment to kind of like that this is absurd. Yeah. But we're gonna commit to it. And I think that makes it more compelling. I think audio and cartoons have a lot in common too. Yeah. And the way I do my show is, is like there is a mind's eye in in audio that is just different from everything else. Like it, I think it's close to what you get when you read a really good book, yeah. but it's just beyond because you're painting a picture with audio, but you're not filling in all of the detail of the visuals and like the mind's eye. I think really whether it's directly visual or not fills that in. And cartoons, just there's no rules because you can just draw it, and and so I think it it functions in on a similar plane. And then there's also just like with my show, it's like I have a really frenetic pace, and like there's tons of like unusual sounds going on, yeah. and 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 characters and stuff. But like I see them as like super. I think that more people could use the audio medium like that, and it would be really interesting. And it's more like what was happening in audio like ninety, a hundred years ago, almost. You know, like. Yeah. Audio was very experimental and like very much like this, like when Orson Welles was making. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's it's part of what podcasts did. It kind of like reinvigorated the genre. Like it pushed people to do a lot of shit. I hope so. With sound. Like I think there are some really unconventional podcasts that do a lot. Like there is, a, you know, the signposting you said, but there are like the explosion of podcasts has been huge. Like I think Reply All is a fantastic podcast. Amazing. That they do so no, so much crazy oh, shit. There, no, there's so many good ones. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I think that they they're doing stuff that radio would avoid for a while. Oh yeah, which is great for sure. It, like I mean, it's it's so it's so lucrative now. Like I mean, Gimlet just sold to Spotify for what like a couple million? Couple was it a billion? Nah, it was I don't know. Million. But you get what I'm saying. Like I think that the the medium is changing in a good way. In yes. a way that is kind of birthing, uh, you know, like a Richard's Famous or like something that is kind of playing with the medium in a way that is more compelling, I think, mm -hmm. because it is something new. Like, I am of the same mind as you. I, I think that food is too precious sometimes. Like, it's not <laughs> it's not a fucking like vase. It's, it's, it's just a regular thing that everybody kind of does. Yeah, I mean, you have to have a sense of humor about yeah. yourself. I think no matter what you do, whether you put it in your work or not, I'm just there to force you to think about it a yeah. little bit. How did you come up with the character? And what were you trying to go for? It's funny. People say it's a character a lot of the time, but I, I don't think of the the person I do on my show. I, oh, you mean the, the sort of the aesthetic character, like the logo. The logo, sure. No, or not the personality that I do on the show. That's no, no, different. No. Okay, okay. No, no, no. The logo comes from my, my friend James Braithwaite drew it, and I found this out recently. I was looking through the archives, the Richard Parks the Third ephemera archives, because the uh, the University of Texas is acquiring them. I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I just decided <laughs> to find out because I get this question a lot. Yeah. When was the first time that there was this image of me as a pickle? And it was 12 years ago. I was already... I started doing something around the holidays where it, it started with making vinegar pickled jalapenos every Christmas holiday season. And I would make a small amount and hand them out to whoever I happen to see, friends. And they were red and green for Christmas. Sometimes some carrots, some shallots, other things in there. But as I got more and more into pickling, I was threatening to start a pickle business. Mm. And uh, my friend James, who's a very talented illustrator, was talking about making me a logo. I found the first iteration of it and it, it was me, you know, it was a funnier looking guy with another version of me like holding me. And then there was like Queen Victoria holding me as a pickle. And it was going to be called, I think at some point I was going to call it Vine Gary Dicks, huh. like pickles or something like that. There's even a Tumblr. I started a Tumblr for it. This tells you what era it was. And I posted to it exactly once. And so that's where it came from. So when I started a podcast years later and it, Turned out to sound kind of crazy. Uh, we decided to give him a microphone and a little old timey microphone and put some headphones on him and and update him for for uh, Richard's famous food podcast. Is this your first time going on record about the origin of the Peakley? Yes, you, yes. Pilot Boys exclusive exclusive drop air, air horns. <laughs> do, do, do. Um, 
Yeah, so that's, that's how it started. So it, you kind of reappropriated that logo yes. mascot for the podcast. And it's a perfect fit, by the way. James does stuff for everything I do. Like like when I wrote a column for, for Vice Munchies about um, the intersection between food and television, he would do an illustration for everyone. Uh, he has this great sensibility. Like his stuff is just amazing. He's actually, you should watch some of his stuff. He he animates sometimes where he works with animators and he did this incredible film where he drew, he's Canadian. Okay. Let's get that out of the way. Because okay. it's, it's important for the context because in Canada and in other countries, apparently they actually support the arts. So there's this thing called the National Film Board of Canada and they do like great projects. And so James, who I met, when we got into a snowball fight in front of our apartments uh, on the street in Montreal in 2001, which I was talking about this recently. Montreal was a great place to live in 2001. We can get into that if you want to, but there's a lot of good food there. But uh, James made this film called I Met the Walrus. There's this sort of legendary story in Canada because John and Yoko did their bed in in Montreal. Uh And, the sort of legend has it, I, I'm going to bowlerize this because it's been a, a while, but I heard about it in uh, like Canadian studies one-on-one. I had to take Canadian studies because I was there as an American. It was a required class. If you are a non-Canadian student, you have to take Canadian studies. Wait, so you went to school? In- I went to school in Montreal, Canada, McGill University. Uh-huh. They call it the Harvard of Canada, or up there, we call Harvard America's McGill. And that's where you studied podcasting. That's right. That's where I got my podcasting degree. My first podcasting degree. I studied literature and philosophy. The, the school of Ira Glass. <laughs> no, like McGill didn't even have a journalism department, but uh, I was, you know, it was sort of basic liberal arts stuff. Montreal was a great place to live. Nice. I was 18. It cost less than a UC school to go. So I'm in Montreal, Canada, living in a mile end. There, were, there was a train depot right up the street where Godspeed, you black emperor practice, and there's a train behind it that you could put pennies on and they would smash it. And there were all sorts of practice spaces and bands that grew out of there. It was a great place to live. Nice. But, you know, when you're there, you're like an LA boy. You're yeah. seeing snow like for the first, you're living in snow for the first time. I had to learn how to put on a scarf. Like, I didn't even know. Like, I was like, <laughs> how do you do this? It's just, it's kind of like awkwardly draped around me. So I got in a snowball fight with this charming young man who lived down the block from me and that was james braithwaite but this film that he made was about a man who during whatever it was 1971 john and yoko are there doing their bed in for peace thing you've probably seen the photos and stuff but i think that the story goes that they weren't giving interviews but this kid who was 14 skipped school and he took his like nagra you know probably like briefcase size recorder down to the hotel and requested an interview with john lennon and it was the one interview that john lennon gave that day or whatever and so he recorded it and this was already a legendary story when i was going to school there in like 2001 after we graduated james and i around the same year like years later they took this tape and they edited it down into this like five minute like amazing john lennon like stream of consciousness thing and James drew every frame of that as an animation funded by the National Film Board of Canada. Oh, wow. And it was nominated. It did not win, sadly. It was nominated for an Oscar, um, very deservedly. It's called I Met the Walrus. You should check it out. Nice. Yeah. So all that to say that he is the very like decorated artist behind your fantastic logo. Yeah. I mean, he's almost like the spirit animal in a way. He's just like an amazing personality. Nice. But I can take no credit for drawing myself as a pickle. Okay. Cool. Or but the I fact mean, that that predates was... Pickle Rick by years. Yes. Which is, that's the soundbite. That's what I wanted. I wanted you to shit on Pickle Rick more than anything. Oh, no. I'm happy about Pickle Rick. There's, I think there's okay. there's room in this world for more than one anthropomorphic pickle. Got it. All right. So, so I want I want to know. What do you got? Dude, I'm here. I, I'm happy I to want, be on your I want to know. I, I need the 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 people need to know. <laughs> Are you okay, or is there still beef between you and Rick and Morty? <laughs> I want to know. I want to know if I should. Uh, if Let's I should just stop say watching the I show. was planning to send a cease and desist, but I'm going to call my lawyer and uh, ask him to step down. You know, hey, uh, this show is actually pretty good. That's what you're going to tell him. <laughs> Thank you, wanna... you for asking me. For, to finally check it out yeah i'm glad to have partially I'm glad you dug it. In. that's that's oh dude that's the only thing i care i about. loved it i i i really enjoyed it i can't wait to watch all of them honestly okay yeah so the last thing we do yeah we do ratings and then we'll do predictions but 
we already know it's gonna go for a hundred years. Ratings of the show? Yeah. So I, I, we do like one through five. Oh right. Okay. Um, I don't know. For me, I, I really like the first episode. Like, obviously, it, it for me, it's, it's a it does everything a pilot needs to. You're like, not gonna go less than five, are you? I'm not gonna go less than five. It's five. But it's also like it's it's one of the ones that like I picked on purpose because I liked it. So yeah. you would go five as well. So it was rigged. Yeah, I'm five. I'm I mean, five. yeah, it's a little rigged. I mean, I, I pick five. all the episodes. Caesar, I'm five all day, every all day. day. Okay, that's what's up. Yeah, okay. yeah. Nice. I'm actually five across the board. Okay. Yeah. What, what are you on? Where are you falling? I'm doing five. I mean, yeah, it, it's is pickle Rick. Yeah, five peak lays. You I would cannot say. mess with that. That <laughs> was really. I loved watching that. Yeah. I, I love being able to experience that for the first time. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm five. Okay. Sounds good. A couple of easy targets over here. Yeah. And I think that's... I mean, is there anything else that you feel like we didn't cover about the show? Like, did I did I go too... Was I trying to, like, talk about... Was it was it too heady? No. I mean, it's interesting. I know you're, like, a real, um, like, culture consumer, uh-huh. you know. And I love that. I But, like, hanging out with people like that, it's like you always learn and you always need context for what they're talking about because you always stumble upon stuff i mean to me it's like good to hang out with people who know a lot more you know i don't know anything dude i just fucking watch tv no no but you like knew about all this sort of like the 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 fan culture and sort of how it's talked about and like i'm mostly ignorant of that so i learned a lot today okay i hope i ended up on the right side of history i mean yeah so this is this is kind of like what i said is like the two readings is like i fucking love the show but there are people who kind of like the fan like the ultra fans of something are often the people who make the regular fans look bad you right know what i mean yeah 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 so that, that but was what is it potentially thinking. like glorifying it's something so completely well I, okay so I, you might absurd. have missed you might have missed the whole like szechuan craze i did so yeah there... you alluded to that earlier i had no okay. idea what you're talking sorry about. I, I should i should have primed you i, I was trying little. to sit here and look cool i got gotcha. you so <laughs> Szech- you, you, you can always cut me off like I, i'm you can just tell me to shut up i think i've been pretty good at doing that so far okay cool so <laughs> Uh, episode one of season three. Yeah, it had it was kind of on a hiatus. They didn't know if it was going to come back. They randomly released an episode, and it was this. They did the kind of a MacGuffin thing where like there was the Szechuan, like the Szechuan sauce that McDonald's had when it was promoting Mulan, and it was so popular right. that McDonald's decided to bring it back for a day. That day was mayhem. It was like it was essentially what Popeyes is now. Yeah, but for like a day thing but then mcdonald's you know like leaned into it and they're like yeah we're just gonna do it every day now i don't know if they're still doing it but what i'm saying is like i do know about this so those are kind of like the toxic fans that kind of make everybody look bad and you're just like yeah you know like i think if if we can already had any haters it it tripled or doubled that day because most people were like look at these like the people who like the show kind of shit yeah 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 but i think it exists on two levels like for me it is those things, but I also think like I don't I don't like subscribe to like that's my identity like yeah. I, don't, I don't identify as Rick Sanchez or whatever. That makes sense. Yeah. So sorry, I should have. No, thank that. you. But we can edit this with the magic of computers. With the magic of Michelle. Exactly. We can just put it in. <laughs> we can scoot it in and in that part, so you sound like you know what you're talking about. Um. No, I I got. Or I, I sound like I got I know nothing what I'm else. About. Can I plug a couple things? Absolutely. Plug I have everything. a podcast. <laughs> We've talked about it for a long time. Richard, check out Richard's famous food podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Check us out on Instagram. Richard's famous. Check out the Boba book, Spring 2020. The Guerrilla book. That was fall 2017. But please go down to, yeah, Gorilla Tacos and and pick up a book. And um, that's, oh, and can we run some of my podcasts on this? I mean, if you let me. Hell yeah. (laughs) I'm just glad you asked. Which one do you want to run? I was going to run the all day, every day bit, but anything you want me to run, just send send me a clip and I'll Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely, man. Thanks for coming on. I'm, yeah. I appreciate. We got I appreciate getting to sit next to one of the uh, grand innovators of Gastrocom, the founding father, <laughs> the godfather of Gastrocom, if you will. Michelle, you can edit this in the front. Yeah, so Michelle. It sounds, so it sounds. We like just I'm found giving, our intro, Michelle. I'm giving you like a better intro instead of like the dry one of like Richard. How you doing? <laughs> but yeah, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. It's been great. You're my first famous food podcast guest. <laughs> Hopefully first of many, many more. (laughs) Thank you, Caesar. I'll see you. Peace. Bye.
Uncle Richie? Yeah, Jimmy, buddy, it's really not a good time. I thought I was your nephew. You are, but Turner's my real nephew. You're my made-up, pickle-shaped food podcast nephew. You're a piclet. What? You don't exist outside of the theoretical confines of this sometimes semi-fictional gastro-comedy podcast. Anyways. I am real, right? Now, now, Jimmy, let's just lie you down. Close your crocs and just count the mustard seeds jumping over the little crust of baguette. There. <laughs>